Fly, eagles, fly. Fly, eagles, fly. E-A-G-L-E-S, eagles. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Unexpected Value Podcast. Today is Tuesday, September 28th. We are almost into October. Football season is fully underway. The Cowboys are atop of the NFC beast. All is right within the world. Let's get into it. So, obviously, I'm going to start the episode because it's Tuesday with Monday Night Football and the awesome performance that was last night. I have many things to say. First off, let's start with our defense. I have never in my life seen us turn the ball over like this, ever. Or generate turnovers, I mean. It's awesome. It's really fun to see. There was a time where I thought I forgot what it was like for a defense that you root for to generate turnovers. I would have to rely on on TCU to to enjoy that. And so to watch the Cowboys do it, it's really awesome. Loving it. Uh, Dan Quinn was a smart hire. He's looking like that was the right choice. When he was first hired, I was excited but reserved because I was like, okay, he was a really good coordinator in Seattle during the Legion of Boom, which was, you know, eight years ago now. And then he had one good year as a head coach in Atlanta when they choked in the Super Bowl. And then after that, they he wasn't a very good head coach. So, if I, And the most damning part about hiring him as our DC was that his defenses weren't very good in Atlanta. So it was like, oh, like, yes, he had a good track record as a coordinator, but then as a head coach on the defensive side of the ball, he was never any good. So that was cause for concern, but he is, through the first three weeks of the season, he has washed those concerns away completely. He's up there at the booth with the backwards hat, probably with a dip in. Just, I mean, he's got us right. And we look like we haven't in a long time. Probably since, God, what was that year where we had that kick-ass defense? That would be Dak's second year or third year? 2017, 2018? Yep, it's 2018. I just looked it up. It was the year that we beat the Saints in that 13-10 to 10 thriller. And then we thought we had the best defense in the league because we held the Saints to 10 points. And then two weeks later, we lost to the coach 20, Colts 23 to nothing. And then we eventually lost to the Rams in the divisional round. Um, but basically, we haven't had a defense like that since the last time we went to the playoffs. I'm looking at our defensive stats right now, and they aren't overwhelming by any means. We're still somewhere raked in the 20s for yards per game at about 400 yards per game, which is entirely too much. Um, some of that could be owed to the garbage time that was the fourth quarter yesterday's game. And then we also played Tom Brady and Justin Herbert week one and two. But the most important thing about those defenses during those two games and this game as well was the fact that we've been generating at least two turnovers per game. Like we 
had four in the Bucks game, I believe two in the Chargers game, and then two yesterday. So, which we we haven't done anything like that in a very long time. Like last year, I think it took us to week eleven to get to eight turnovers. So, we're winning the turnover battle, and that's how you win in the NFL. I'm really excited about that. And our rushing attack, our rushing defense, I mean, um, is pretty good. It's about 70 yards per game. So that's, that's, it's not great, but it's not terrible. But what does concern me right now is that we are giving up 330 pass yards per game. Again, I'm not sure how much I can buy into these numbers just yet. Uh, yesterday, Jalen Hurts threw 330. And some of those passing yards could, it's definitely due to the garbage time towards the end, especially that one like 40 yard bomb where he somehow escaped and then just yucked it. And then our cornerback didn't even look for the ball and then just kind of attacked the receiver, did, got a pass interference call, but the guy still caught it. That was definitely fluky. So, but that's. That's where we're at right now. We had one week of Tom Brady, another week of Justin Herbert, and then another week of garbage time Jalen Hurts, who, in my opinion, will be the new king of garbage time. He is this generation's Blake Bortles. All right, so now we have our offense. Run the damn ball. That's what we need to do. That was our method for success during Dak's early years. Dak is now a different quarterback since then. But it's proof the past two weeks that that is a winning formula to use that two-headed monster between Zeke and Tony Pollard. We just need to call it like how it is. This is no longer Zeke's backfield. This is Zeke and Pollard's backfield. That's how it needs to be. Tony Pollard is too good, too explosive not to get the touches he needs Although I will say this was by far and away Zeke's best game in years. He was running the football angry. I haven't seen him run angry in years. There's no other way to put that performance last night. He was pissed off. He had a good game catching the football as well. It was really good to see um, him play like that because we kind of expected a jump this season because of the off-season conditioning. He looked good in hard knocks. So this was this was a confirmation of what we thought we were getting. He's he's definitely not the the same player that he was. Um, that's just running backs. Their the tread just runs off too quickly on running backs. That's why I always say don't pay running backs. But uh, he looked good. He looked like he's regaining some form. And along with Tony Pollard to kind of keep him fresh, is it's a winning formula. We need to keep that up. And then our play calling, too, in the passing game. Kellen Moore, sometimes I feel like we ran the ball maybe a little too much, where sometimes where we should have ran some bootleg or play action. But when the running's game working, don't shy away from that. Run the damn ball. So I, I kind of get it. But I would like to see some more play action, some more bootleg, maybe some um, a little bit more a la Rams offense in that. But 
<clears throat> this is the Cowboys and not the Rams. Another thing, too, that I really liked is our fake screen game. So a couple of times I saw us fake a screen to CD for a wide receiver screen, but it was definitely fake, and then we dumped it off to Zeke on the opposite end. And then one of my favorite play calls of the night, it was during the second half. Game was pretty much already gone, but it was to kind of seal the game, to kind of chew up some more clock. Um, it was a Zeke rolled out, started pre-snap motion, um, and it looked like it was going to be a screen to Zeke, and he was waving his hand, and then he faked it. Dak turned around, dumped it off to Schultz, and Schultz ran with it for, I don't know, 15 yards, I think. That was a really nice play call. I really like that. We had like two more plays similar to that. My only problem is that maybe we're showing a little bit too much of that in a game that was already put away, but whatever. I'm not paid to be an offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. That's Kellen Moore's job which he has done a fantastic job. But I will say after watching football all day Sunday, as great as the Cowboys offense has been so far, I still feel like we're a step behind the big dogs. I feel like we're behind the Rams and the Packers for sure. Probably the Bucks as well, even though they didn't look very good yet on Sunday. But I think we're right there in the top five. I think we're in the mix. But if we want to go farther than just the couple rounds into the playoffs, then we need to be better than top five. Um, it it still feels a little a little Mike McCarthy ish, just a little bit archaic. Not too archaic. It has a little bit of sprinkles in there. A little bit of chocolate syrup, but too much, too much just plain old vanilla, I feel like. We need to spice it up more. Maybe this is just me because I watched the entire game of the Stafford Rams offense and watched the Stafford Rams offense week one Sunday night because those guys are good, and that's a damn good offensive scheme. So maybe I'm just complaining that we're not the Rams, which I feel like most NFL fans should be because the Rams are pretty good. But all in all, I uh, I feel really good about the Cowboys right now. I'm very confident that we will come on top out of the East. And uh, one good thing to see is that our first home game back, AT&T was rocking. That has been a stadium where we haven't really enjoyed home field advantage like we should have. But when that place gets loud and that place gets rocking, it is it is pretty awesome. So that was cool to see it on TV because there's very few times on TV where I've seen it and been like, damn, like we showed out, we're rowdy, we're having a good time. Because I, from, from whatever reason, uh, AT&T just hasn't been a place to where the Cowboys have had home field advantage since it's opened up, which is weird, but true. So it was good to see that we definitely had some of that going last night because it definitely affected Jalen Hurts, who is not that guy. I don't think he's a, a franchise quarterback. Remember when the Eagles beat the shit out of the Falcons week one and everyone thought that Jalen Hurts was a franchise quarterback and that the Eagles – could make a playoff push. 
Yeah, that was two weeks ago. Wild. I don't think so anymore. Well, I never thought so. I pretty much knew that the Eagles just beat the Falcons, and that was that. The Falcons are just bad, which goes to show you how bad the Giants are that they lost to them. Because if they could make Jalen Hurts look like a franchise quarterback and then Daniel Jones look like a backup again, how bad is Daniel Jones? I think your answer is really bad. The rest of the NFC East, besides the Cowboys, is just in shambles, and I hope that we go 6-0 and this year in the division. We should. We should at least go 4-2, and 5-1 and at the minimum, right? I mean, even the football team looks really bad. What's concerning about the football team is that their defense, their defense is ranked 31st in the league right now, ahead of only the Seahawks. They have played Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, and Daniel Jones. And they gave up a lot of yards to the Giants. And they generated no turnovers against the Giants. And this isn't necessarily like the Cowboys to where I could kind of make excuses for them because of who they played and then the garbage time, which because the Cowboys were supposed to be a bad defense. The Washington football team was supposed to have a great defense. They were supposed to be, you know, top three in the league. And so far they've been really, really bad. But again, this is only the third week of the season. Maybe they just turned things around. Sometimes at the beginning of the year, things get sloppy, a little fluky. You never really know. But from what I've seen so far, I think this could spell trouble for the football team. And I think that, again, the rest of the NFC East is just in shambles and the Cowboys are the only team that has any semblance of a talented roster with enough experience, I would say, to uh, go ahead and get this done, go to the playoffs, hopefully win a playoff game or two, and probably not a Super Bowl as much as I hate to say it. I think that's going to go to... The Rams, Bucks, or Packers right now. Those are the top three. But I think we're in there at four. I really do in the running of contenders. I don't see another wild card team pulling through like like the Bucks did last year. Um, you could say the Cardinals, but man, again, the same thing with the Cardinals. I just, you've heard me say it before, I just don't believe in Cliff Kingsbury to kind of make a run like that. So I think the... Top four teams to look out for right now in the NFC is Bucks, Rams, Cowboys, and uh, Packers. So I did something that I rarely do on Sunday afternoons, and I watched the entire three o'clock game of the Rams Bucks instead of watching Red Zone. Which, if it's not a Cowboys games, I never watch individual games. I always watch Red Zone. But this was just a matchup that I felt like needed to have my full attention. And it did. And what I learned from it is that the Rams are the real deal. And that the question that should be asked right now for the Bucks is that, did they get exposed? And I'm going to go right now with no. They did not get exposed because their secondary has been a little suspect throughout this point of the year. And they're also extremely thin. Carlton Davis was still available, who's their best cornerback. But 
they were working on like their fourth and fifth guys. They've been kind of banged up at the cornerback position. And Sean McVay definitely was aware of that and attacked that. And I love the way that the Rams offense operates. Their pre-stap motions are just too good to watch. I mean, everything that they do is either a disguise to get one guy open or just, I don't know. He, he just schemes guys open. Um, <clears throat> Cooper Cup is on another planet right now. That guy is, is probably, like, he's top five in the league receiver like he, he just is the way that he comes out of a catch is something that i've seen no other guy do it's like him and Devonte, because they'll take a catch and then they'll sprint forward and kind of do that little half circle thing but it's so effective the way cup does it because he just creates so much space while doing that and everyone knows that if you're creating space you're not getting tackled and he, he's doing that and he's doing that better than any other guy in the league right now and the most important part about that is that Matt Stafford knows it too because he's feeding him the ball. A lot of his deep gains this season have been just little short passes that he just takes because he's so good. Yak. Yards after catch. Just put the ball in his hands. He makes things happen. You know, And then on top of that too is that the rest of the receiving core is Really, really good, too. I mean, Robert Woods, most people thought that he was still going to be the number one receiver in this offense. He's not. He's number two. And then you also have Van Jefferson, who's pretty good. No slouch himself. And then you have the reemergence of Deshaun Jackson before he inevitably gets hurt again. Um, He's still fast. (laughs) And he evidenced that on Sunday that he almost got tackled by dicking around but that's just Deshaun Jackson for you he just likes to showboat but yeah that was that was crazy to see that deep bomb he got wide wide open on that one um what else happened that game oh yeah so Troy Aikman I think mentioned in the first quarter that Gronk played all 16 games last year and it was the first time he played a full season since 2011 and I was like why did you just say that? You've just put a jinx on Gronk, and then inevitably, like quarter the third quarter, I think Gronk got hurt. And I don't know. It's just like clockwork. Announcers, it's just like that same old thing. They'll put up a graphic. They're like haven't thrown an interception in this many throws on that drive. That quarterback's gonna throw an interception. It it's it's weird. It's it does it on a paranormal level. Stuff like that happens this much. I also saw it with the uh, with the Ravens game. Earlier in the game, they put up a graphic like that Justin Tucker hit a 61-yarder, his career high, at Ford Field. And then I saw how he kicked that 66-yarder. I was like, oh, that's a little bit of divine intervention on the announcer's part. And then another game I want to get into is the Chiefs Chargers game. I like the Chargers as a dog to at least cover that six and a half point spread. But them winning is even better. Also, I do want to say I feel really bad for Andy Reid, and I hope that he gets better. He just got released from the hospital 
Um, they say he's in good spirits, doing fine. He went originally because he was dehydrated. Temperatures on the field were pretty high. I guess he just sweated out, didn't drink enough water. Uh, this is concerning to me He's because we all know that Andy Reid isn't exactly the healthiest guy out there. And he is 63, and coaching is a high-stress job, so it's kind of getting to that point where it's like, man, I hope this guy is okay, is okay and taking care of himself. Uh, with that being said, I think he might retire soon because of stuff like this and then just hand the keys off to Eric Bieniemy, which is why Bieniemy hasn't accepted a job somewhere else. But as for the game itself, uh, this is – Pretty much what I've been saying about the Chiefs all along is that they keep on doing that same old bullshit that they pulled all last year but still went 14-2. and two. They just think that they can come back at any point that they feel like while they're asleep at the wheel for the first three quarters or for at least the first half and they'll come alive and they'll you know say, all right, well, we're the Chiefs so we're going to win this game now. In the past two weeks, both those teams have said, no, you're not. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Uh, the Chargers have fully arrived, and I think that they're here to stay now. This is only the second loss that Patrick Mahomes has had against the Chargers. Um, they, the Chiefs did lose to the Chargers once last year, but uh, that was Week 17, and I think Matt Castle started that game. And then the other time was in 2018 in a late season game but that was the last year the chargers last year the philip rivers led chargers were actually good and then they ultimately crumbled but now they're rebuilt and i think uh i think they're gonna be scary i still chiefs are dead last in that afc west division but i still have confidence that the chiefs can make it out on top because again they're the best team in that division but the Chargers will be a very good wild card team. Like they're going to be high wins. Like they could win 11, 12 games easily, but still be a wild card team because this is a division that's owned by the Chiefs. Unless they don't, the Chiefs don't get their shit together and they keep that confidence up and play like they've been playing for the first three weeks of the season. Another thing is that AFC West division looks to be almost as good, if not just as good. As the NFC West, which is crazy, but now this could be another division where each each team holds a playoff spot because the Broncos right now, man. So I don't have I don't think the Broncos are like super good by any means, but I took a look at their schedule, and they have one of the easiest schedules I've seen for this season. And the thing about that too is that they have been beating up on these lesser opponents. Like, they're not losing to them. And even though they're in a really tough division, it's not like they're going to go 0-6 in their division. So, I mean, this is a double... This, I mean, looking at their schedule and what they've done so far with their defense and just by not losing to these shit teams, like, they're a double-digit win team, which spells playoffs. Um, maybe the Raiders will ultimately collapse like they did last year, but I don't think so. Like... I saw a stat that this is the first ever 3-0 team to go 3-0 against teams that went 10 or more wins the year before, which were the Ravens, who had 10 or more wins last year, the Steelers, 
and then the Dolphins, who had 10 wins last year. So, I mean, they've beaten three semi-quality teams so far. They're probably good. They're probably good. You know who's probably not good is the Chicago Bears. Matt Nagy is an embarrassment. I'm going to repeat that. Matt Nagy is an embarrassment to the league that this guy has a head coaching position. He is so dumb. This offensive genius took Justin Fields and gave him Andy Dalton's playbook. Justin Fields is a new, young, dynamic player who does not need to be having Andy Dalton's playbook. Andy Andy Dalton, I like Andy Dalton, but he's, you know, a player of yesterday, you know, 10 years, you know, 10 years ago, NFL, where he stands in the pocket and throws and maybe he can use his legs sometimes, but you know, you're not going to use high concept new age stuff with Andy Dalton. You're just not going to do that. And Matt Nagy's dumbass just gave him, gave Justin Fields, this new young dynamic player, the same exact playbook that Andy Dalton would have. And that's just not what you do. That is not smart. Um, and the Browns knew that they they shut him down completely. I mean, Fields didn't look good either, but Matt Nagy didn't do any favors whatsoever. I mean, it was so bad that people in the media are saying that maybe Nat, Matt Nagy purposefully sabotaged uh, Justin Fields' first start just so he could look smarter by starting Andy Dalton, which honestly I wouldn't put it past him because this guy's crazy. This is the same head coach that made his kickers um, – Practice 43-yard field goals over and over and over and over again at training camp the year after the double doink. I mean, this guy's insane. He's not worthy of a head coaching job. He should be fired now. I'm su- I'm surprised that he wasn't fired after last season because it's, it's shown that he's not an offensive head coach. That first year that he was really good at, his offense wasn't even that good. It just kind of showed improvements over that John Fox offense, which really wasn't that hard to do. And then he inherited a kick-ass defense. And since he's taken over, that defense that he's inherited has t- turned into shambles. It still has Khalil Mack, but that's, you know, and a couple of other guys. But really, they're older and they're just not as talented. And then you have the offense, who's just the same Chicago Bears offense that we've seen for the past 100 years. Nothing special whatsoever. And then when you have a coach who starts really good his first year, but then regresses every single year, I don't think that they're a good head coach. And it's another reason why Bears fans should probably not celebrate the fact that they got Justin Fields too much because I think, one, him being paired with Nagy is going to turn into a bust. And two... The fact that Nagy and Pace got him might have saved them an extra year, maybe two, on the job because it looked like they were going to inevitably get fired at the end of this year anyway. I hope that he gets fired because just just as a fan of the NFL, I don't want to see that shit. Like I don't watching the Bears is like watching paint dry, and because Chicago is the third ranked demographic in the U.S., they're the third largest city in America, they're going to be on prime time no matter what, if they're bad or they're good. So I don't want to be subjected to 
the Chicago offense, I don't know, three or four times a year that they're on primetime. That's torture. It's it's honestly, I'm pretty sure it breaks the laws of the Geneva Convention because it's it's, it's almost like Clockwork Orange, you know, having having to put the keep your eyes open watching. That's what like, and that's I'm not even a Bears fan, and I feel this frustrated. Just the fact that there's a team out there doing that. You know, it's not like when like the Bills were bad or something, or like the Bengals have been bad because like nobody really cares, honestly. Because you know they're not flooding our prime. They you know they just take up like one Thursday night football slot, and you know that's that. But these are the Bears we're talking about here. This is like New York being bad too. Like I'm not, you know, the only reason why I'm okay with New York being bad is because they're in our division. Like the Jets, we have to watch the Jets. You know, it's just. These big market teams, man, they need to get together. But yeah, Chicago should probably fire Nagy like right now. But outside of football, there was also this really cool golf tournament called the Ryder Cup. Don't know if you've ever heard of it. Kind of a big deal where the U.S. faces Europe in a team style tournament and it was electric. It was so awesome. USA finally got a win or got I think it's our second win in three tries, which is nice. We won in 2016, lost in 2018. Um, I guess now because of the pandemic and we had to take 2020 off, even though they still called it the 2020 Ryder Cup, we're still going to take next year off and go to Rome in 2023 because I thought we were going to get another Ryder Cup in 2022, but it looks like that's not going to happen. Um, but this is probably going to mark a new era of USA dominance because it's been an era of European dominance the past, since like the 90s. So, you know, USA, it was great. It was in Wisconsin. Not many European fans would go because usually it's like a good mix of USA and European fans that are there. Um, the announcer said that they were missing the ole, ole, ole chance, which would have been cool, but the weekend was definitely flooded with USA chants, which was awesome because who doesn't love a good USA chant? And don't answer that question. We don't have time for that today. <laughs> but uh, no, it was awesome. Like the the coolest part about it too is that the players were cutting loose. They're let they're wearing their emotions on their sleeve. They're getting into it. They're hyping up the crowd. Everything about it was just it was kick ass. It was kick ass. It's the only way to describe the Ryder Cup is that the Ryder Cup is kick ass. And I was talking about it with one of my other buddies who's another really big golf fan. And he's like, you know, I love watching tour. I love watching all the majors and all the winners. But the Ryder Cup is probably one of the best events to watch because the players are more, you know, carefree. Because, like, when you watch regular golf, like, guys are kind of locked in because so much money's at stake. You know, especially in the majors, like, millions of dollars are on the line. They're not really having fun. They're not cutting loose. At the Ryder Cup, they're doing that because money really isn't at stake. Just pride for your country and just trying to beat the other guys. Just pure competitive spirit. And so then they can kind of get into it. Like Justin Thomas chugged a beer a couple times. Like they're getting into it with the crowd. He was hyping up the crowd. They were sinking putts left and right. Team USA was. Um, It's just awesome. It's just awesome. Like these guys could just, you know, 
what we see at the Ryder Cup is kind of, I feel like, how these guys would act if you went golfing with them on a normal day without people. Like, if you went golfing with them as buddies, I feel like is how you'd see golfers at the Ryder Cup, which is why the Ryder Cup is awesome. And also, too, like, the fans are a lot rowdier, it seemed like. Golf fans can kind of get a little crazy sometimes, as we saw with the PGA Championship and surrounding the 18th green to see Phil Mickelson's win. But I mean, I mean, when the European players were, you know, doing their warm-up swings with their driver, they're going, whoa, 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 with the pendulum, you know, which was hilarious, like trying to get it in their heads, which I honestly think that the crowd might have played a little bit of factor on Team Europe, but not much because, again, those guys are professionals, and I think golfers have a really – innate ability like any other athlete to just tune everything out in golf because it's such a mental game but yeah it was a spectacle i think after watching it um all day friday it got going to the Ryder cup just got added to my sports bucket list um it changes venues every single year but just going to the event itself um is would be awesome because again the USA chance, especially when I go because it'll be USA and Europe, so you'll hear the ole ole, you'll hear people kind of getting into it. But it seems like it's all fun and games. This is just a strictly like this is like the most for fun sports events I think I've ever seen. Because like for some reason people care too much when it comes to like NFL stuff and college stuff, and there's some real like heated rivalries, like some bad blood, you know. But when it comes to USA versus Europe, it's all in good fun. Like we're like, hey, we're kind of here to beat you, but we're also just kind of here to like watch some good golf and cheer for, you know, where we're from, which is just cool. It's cool. And it's sad that Europe couldn't go because of tribal restrictions due to COVID. Ugh, still dealing with that. Hopefully that won't be a thing for 2023. I think it would be so awesome if, you know, People could go over to Rome to see this new era of USA dominance because, like, our team is stacked. Like, looking at the looking at the lineup before, I was like, "Holy shit, dude!" Like, USA is really, really good. We have our our team was flooded with major winners. Um, we had Brooksy, we got Deshambo, Morikawa, Patrick Haley, who's been on fire. I mean, Dustin Johnson finally showed up again. Justin Thomas is Captain America, straight up. Uh, Jordan Spieth. I mean, every every guy just showed up, you know. And then really, the only thing, Team Europe was kind of, I don't know, they stumbled. They, they didn't have a very good showing out recently. Like, normally Roy McIlroy plays pretty good at the Ryder Cup. He didn't. Um, Europe also is kind of old they had a lot of guys who were like 40 or older so they probably need an injection of youth which they had some youth mixed in victor hovland was there he played really good uh tommy fleetwood who was a rookie for the Ryder cup in 2018 played well again but not like he did the last time where he dominated the Ryder cup um and then big john rom who i love played well again at the Ryder cup even though he lost his singles match on Sunday. Um, but man, I John Rom's swing is so different than most guys. He's really short on his backswing, I feel like, but it's just because he has so much power and he's just such a big guy. 
Um, and <laughs> so I kind of forget just because he doesn't look Spanish at all that he is Spanish sometimes. And then he'll go to talk and then he sounds just like a Nigo Montoya. And you're like, oh, yeah, I forget. It's very romantic, very romantic speaking voice. We'll say that. And if you think that comment was kind of weird, uh, just go ahead and look up uh, John Rom talking because you'll agree with me. But all right, so let's uh, let's end the episode with the Reddit reading. I'm gonna go with this one. I saw one that I almost read, but it made me really mad. It was about uh, a guy asking if he was an asshole for not wanting to be a part of the kid's life, and he was only 19, and he said he would pay child support, but he's never gonna do anything with it. And all the comments were just filled with people saying he wasn't an asshole. And I was like, wow, if I do this one, I'm gonna get really mad because that guy's an asshole. So let's go with this one. This one's kind of funny. Uh, am I the asshole for telling my husband's friends he isn't welcome to our house until he starts calling my son by his real name? So my husband has a friend from college he calls his brother. They're inseparable. They hang out together a lot and are very close. His friend tends to act rudely sometimes. He's stubborn and thinks he has some sense of humor. I tolerate his behavior since it's not weird, but things got worse when I got pregnant. He started calling my unborn son Thomas, even though we told him I picked my grandmother's name for my son. He kept doing it even after my son was born. Not only that, but he'd post pictures of my son on Facebook and type Tommy instead of my son's original name, which got people confused. It's kind of funny. Uh, I talked to my husband, and then he explained to his friend that he should stop calling my son Thomas, but he kept doing it even more. He even came up with more nicknames besides the name itself. He's going all in on it. I like it. It all came to a head last night when my husband's friend visited us while my family was visiting as well. Once he walked in, he repeatedly started calling my son Thomas. Everyone was confused. I felt awful. I angrily corrected him in front of everyone and told him my son's name is not Thomas. In his defense, he said that Thomas was a lot cooler and better name than I picked. One, that's funny. Two, Thomas is not a cooler name. Thomas is not a cool name, so I don't know. Why is he insisting that it is? It's not. Um, anyway, so she said, my family heard and were hurt since that was my grandfather's name. It, she doesn't say what her kid's name is, which I don't blame her. People on the internet are weird. I told him to stop calling him and that he said he can call him Thomas while we call him whatever. No problem. I got mad and told him he's no longer welcome to our house until he learns to call my son with his real name and stop this disrespect. My husband's friend argued with me and then left. It was awkward. My husband said his friend wants to use this name and we should just accept it, but I humiliated and embarrassed his friend by berating him in front of my family and then kicked him out. He went on about him being our son's uncle and I should respect that. I stood my ground and told him his friend shouldn't wel isn't welcome or even allowed to see our son unless he agrees to call him with his name. This upset my husband, and now he's saying his friend isn't speaking to him, and I might have ruined their 10 years of friendship with what I did. Okay, that's a little dramatic. He added that I should stop trying to control what comes out of other people's mouths and respect their opinions, just like I should respect that his friends thinks that my son's name is stupid. Am I the asshole? Was I being controlling? Um, and then she goes on to edit 
to add uh, that my husband's friends felt so strongly about the name to the point where he kept nagging us about choosing it before my son was born. When I tried to talk to him about it, he said, after we ignored his name choice, then at least he gets to use it and I shouldn't get upset about it. Okay, so that's really weird that uh, the husband's friend is so upset about your kid's name. Because, like, makes sense why he would just suggest it. It's like, oh, Thomas would be a cool name. And then once that's shut down, you go, okay, cool, whatever. So that's weird that he's insistent upon it. Another thing, too, is I think that the wife might be jealous of the husband and the friend. I think she might be jealous of the relationship and that they have 10 years together of being best bros. I mean, it did, she didn't say how long they were together, but that might be a factor. And I've been that, I've kind of been that friend before where um, me and my best friend from high school have been friends for like five years at this point, And he got a new wife and she was really, really mean to me. And she thought that she could talk to me the way that we talk to each other. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know you like that. And on top of that, just our normal us being mean to each other. She was just a straight up dickhead to me. I remember I drove his car all the way from Fort Worth to Seattle and then huge favor. I mean, he paid me for it. So it's not like I was just doing it out of the kindness of my heart, which was, I mean, it took like a fucking week. So it was, it was a big deal. Plus it was like a little Ford focus and I drove through the entire American Northwest in the winter in this piece of shit car. So it was really, really scary, especially at night. So it wasn't like, you know, I did them a huge favor and she just was berating me the entire time. And I, I didn't do anything wrong. I was like, what? Finally, at one point, she's like, I can't wait till you leave. I was like, why would you say that to somebody? I told my buddy, I said, dude, I'm never going to do you a fucking favor again. Because I, I was pissed. And we didn't talk for, you know, a couple months after that until, you know, she inevitably went off the rails crazy because she was crazy. He was like, yeah, she's driving me nuts. We're probably going to get divorced soon. You were right, blah, 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 blah. Um, sorry that that happened. I was like, yeah. And of course, we buried the hatchet because, I don't know, it's what guys do. But anyway, back to back to this situation. Yeah, everyone in here is weird. So there is a different... I think she's kind of in the right, but she definitely carried it out the wrong way. Like, she could have just been more persistent to the husband and just saying like, hey, could you please tell him it really bothers me? Because why does it bother the other guy so much that his name is whatever it is and it should have been Thomas? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And the fact that it's like, oh, you upset of the son's uncle, like, that's a little weird. Everyone in this situation kind of sucks. But I am ultimately on the wife's side because why does this guy have any say in what a kid's name is going to be when it's not their kid? Also, too, it's like, I get to call your kid whatever I want to. It's like, no, motherfucker, you're going to call my kid by his name because that's what I named him. Not Thomas, the fucking choo-choo train. I don't know. That rub that kind of rubs me the wrong way. So another thing that's brought out really well is that um, top comment says, you know, you're not an asshole, but your husband sure is. Why does he allow this guy to trample over your very reasonable wishes about your child's name? So, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Like, I would kind of be mad at my, if, you know, she has a right to be mad at her husband too, because why isn't he defending? Why is he on his buddy's side? Like, 
Why does he, you know, tending to his buddy's weird needs to call his kid Thomas? And why, you know, because, like, it's kind of funny doing it as a baby. But, like, once he gets to, like, toddler, you know, if this guy's around as much as it seems like he's around, you know, by the time he's five, like, maybe, I don't know. Be like, why are, why are the half people that he knows him calling him Thomas? So the wife kind of has a point. But I still think she went about it in the wrong way. I also think at this stage it's really funny, but it could develop into something that isn't funny that the guy's doing. And I also think that in general the wife just doesn't like him and is probably jealous of their relationship. So there's all sorts of dynamics that are going along in this situation. But yeah. Okay. That has been another episode of the Unexpected Value Podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, tune back next week. I'll probably record Monday next week um, instead of Tuesday because I already record our podcast later tonight, Tuesday. So recording two podcasts in a day is just kind of a lot of talking. So you spread it out. But I did it to, on Tuesday this week because I want to talk about the Cowboys. They're the main focus of this podcast. Oh, and uh, I totally forgot to do this at the beginning of the episode. But um, – Please check out gtdsports.com. Check out all our other podcasts or blogs. Check out our Twitter, GTD Sports. Check out our Instagram at GTD Sports. Check out our TikTok at gtdsports.com. Twitch, YouTube, all that good stuff. We have all of it, everything you need. Go to gtdsports.com. All right, that's been our episode of Unexpected Value. Thanks for listening.